All right, we're going to open up to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. And um, next week we're going to have Ruth Hendrickson come and teach finally. Right, we got into a little bit of trouble uh, last time because of uh, the snow. And uh, Ruth is out, out of town, I believe, uh, teaching. So uh, here's an opportunity for us, for her to come back. And we're real excited. She's going to be teaching on, on biblical femininity. And I think that might be the keystone or the capstone to the narrative series. Uh, and in part is because I am getting exhausted teaching these. And I want to just tell you, John 3.16, Jesus loves you. Um, this, this one right here, I was telling some, uh, some, some folks, uh, I think this might be the most difficult sermon that I've had to prepare. It's up there. Um, and uh, it's one of those ones that uh, I was half joking to Josh, make sure we record it because if there's ever a message that's going to get pulled from YouTube, it's this one. Okay? Uh, and this is speaking and preaching against the narrative of social justice and speaking into the justice of God. Amen? And, well, hopefully I don't have to, right? But, um, right, this is, this is one of the, the biggest voices and narratives that are, uh, that's trying to be uh, dropped on planet Earth. And uh, it's, it's, it's complicated, but not complicated. Uh, but the enemy is just, he just knows what he's doing. He knows how to weave all of this, his junk into what the Lord says is justice. And it makes it really, really difficult to navigate spiritually, be honest, politically, and just as a, a human being. But let's, uh, let's declare what the Lord says. Amen? Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. God, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. He is a God of truth. And without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Now you see this here. The Lord's ways are justice. His truth is without any injustice. So his truth and his ways are perfect. They are just. There is no injustice in his ways. Amen? That's the word. Deuteronomy chapter 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. Let's just declare this because, you know, some people that are going to hear this message are going to take me out of context because that's what people love to do because people like to believe and not, not judge. Oh, yeah. People believe things and they don't judge things. Judging things takes mind, takes spirit. It's a lot easier just to go off of emotion. That's why the world is in a mess because for some reason we have not taught people how to use their mind to eloquently, intellectually look at things in an appropriate manner and just go off of how you feel. Gets you in trouble every time. Look, Deuteronomy chapter 10, 18. Let's declare it. He, God, administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. God loves justice. He loves taking care of the widow. He loves taking care of the orphan. 
and he gives food and clothing to those that are in need. Amen? Amen. All right. But here's the problem. The problem here is the enemy always, always, always works in partial truths. Always does that. The enemy always, always, always works in confusion. If you're confused, it's not God. It's the enemy. He has been at this. The enemy has been at this for a long time. He knows what works and what doesn't work. And what works are part truths, and what works is confusion. Okay? So we need to speak clarity. That's a big part of this narrative series, right? Is giving appropriate biblical doctrine to things. That is hard because many in the church, in my experience, and, and, and um, uh, ministries don't necessarily take like, hey, let's talk theology, let's talk seminary type stuff. Let's just talk things that are going to make you all, like, happy and all excited. And that's that. It's a major problem in the last generation of the church. We have not taken theology. We have not taken these things of doctrine serious enough. And in part, that is why many in the church, particularly of the younger generation, are so confused. Scriptures say pastors are and elders are to provide doctrine. Doctrine, right? So that's what we're doing here today. Confusion, all right? The world and many people in the church are, are quite a bit confused because what they've been doing here and what the enemy has been doing is that they have been um, mistaking uh, the world's justice that is based off of a standard that they, mankind, has chosen to create. They're mistaking that with the righteousness of the Lord and the justice of the Lord. Okay? This, is the, this has been the plan from the beginning, right? The whole taking of the fruit was not just the taking of the fruit. It says that if they eat of the fruit, they will be likened unto God, right? And what is that? It is they will be the ones who determine now what is right and wrong. That's really what's happening in Genesis in the beginning chapters. And that's essentially what's happening here. You or society can determine what is just. I'm going to call that social justice. Or you can listen to what God says and say, that is just. They can't commingle in the same space. Satan said to Eve, you should be able to eat of this apple. It is just. You should be able to know from right from wrong. But God says, no, I don't want you to be the one who's determined right and wrong. I am the one who has determined what is just. You see, it's, it's the same. Look, I'm telling you right now. There is literally Christian colleges that are faltering to this because they're listening to the word of the serpent. You determine what is right. You determine what is wrong. Do not do what God says is right and just. We have to clarify this, okay? The term social justice is an extremely, extremely loaded term. It actually has been an increase quite a bit in some Christian colleges. I remember when I was first dating uh, Michelle. She was just coming out of a Christian college, and the things that she was saying to me uh, that she was learning about, my, my jaw was dropping. And I was like, where, where it, like, I remember, like, it's like we were first dating. I'm like, well, that's great that you went to this Christian college, but it's like, where's the gospel in this? Like, I, I hear, I hear, like, a need to help assist the poor, and to help and assist in, in, in racial inequality. But where's the gospel? Like, I don't hear the word gospel. I don't hear the name Jesus. I don't see the blood of Jesus. Now, look, I know it's tricky stuff. I and mean, this is part of what we have to unpack today. It's very, it's very loaded. 
It's very nuanced and it's very confusing. And, and that's why we're, everyone is like, Wah! I don't know if you have any friends, man. There's like two camps, like big social justice and like, well, not really social justice. And you get those two people together and it's like, oh, dear heavenly Jesus, please come back now and bring the justice of the Lord. The great and terrible day of the Lord. Okay? All right, social justice, this is kind of like my definition to, to try to like make it a little bit more palatable. It's this. Uh, it's it's, a, it's a, an idea and a theory and a practice to bring forth that which is deemed by society to be good, uh, specifically in areas of society that are viewed to be not fair, I guess, but to, in order to make things fair and equal. Now, some of the examples of this would be the following. Um, race division, or rather really race inequality and segregation and racism itself. Also, another big one is uh, wealth and income inequality. Another big one is, of course, climate change. And another one that is very, very big is LGBTQ, transgender, gender fluidity, equality of all of that. That's really largely what it's put together, right? In short, it is taking a look at what society deems to be problems and what culture deems to be problems and to bring solutions through the constructs and the ideas of man to come up with solutions through intellectual means and not provide solutions through the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Ghost. That is essentially what it is. Man's answer to what they believe to be problems without consulting Jesus, without the power of the Holy Ghost, okay? So what am I getting at here? We've got to be real clear with this stuff, all right? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25. You can just even write it down. We're going to be going through a couple of verses here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 38. Let's, let's clear the air here, right? Jesus is speaking uh, 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 about uh, giving. He says, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, surely I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed in the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Jesus says here through this parable that absolutely you and I have a responsibility to clothe the naked, to feed the poor. It is a part of the working of the gospel, absolutely. Uh, this church alone, we are not that big. I'm telling you, the last year, according to my calculations, in the last year alone, this little church has given out over $30,000. Like our annual budget's about two hundred grand, which is which is like really hard when you're talking about mortgages and heat and electricity and roofs that are falling apart and and paying people for work and all this kind of stuff. We were able to give thirty thousand dollars to help people directly, people in need. Okay, yeah, clap it up. That's like amazing for a church this size. Now, that's not including, that's not including, that's not including our monthly mandated spending and giving to ministries. This is like 
we give a portion every month. This is, we literally had a board meal. I was like, guys, we have too much money. We have too much money. Let's give it into the kingdom. Okay? It's not our money, it's the Lord's money. So who's in need? Okay? And so your giving has done that. We are, we are taking part in this. Look, in years past and even now, we've given money for people to go through rehabilitation, drug rehab. We've given money for people for housing. We have given jobs to people in periods of time to help them out. We have literally have paid for homeless people to go into hotels for several days so they can get a shower, so they can feel fresh, so they can start life over again, okay? But we are doing this through a manifestation of love. When we do it, it comes with the gospel. That is key. It comes with the message of repentance, the message of reconciliation, the message of restoration. Okay? What is... What is this thing that the world is talking about that is just? I mean, I know what the world says. What does the word say? What is just? And what is justice? Justice is God. He is the only thing that is just. Him. And his ways. What is just? His message. Atonement. The way of the Lord. The defeating of sin and death. The message of the gospel. Repentance. Restoration. Reunification between man. God's justice. Now, this might get a, a little philosophical, but even the Greek philosophers of days of old would say, if you are on a pursuit of that which is true and that which is just, it can only be one thing. That this understanding that if you keep peeling back the layers of history and the layers of life, that is principle known as the, the, the theory of first principles. That Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, they all came to the same conclusion. If you keep asking the question why and how come, you ultimately get to a baseline value of something or someone that has always existed and always will exist, and is infinite. They would say there's only one truth. You cannot have multiple truths. If you have multiple truths, then something can't be true. You have one justice. If you have multiple versions of justice, then something, one of it can't be it can't be just, and it can't be true. There is one thing which is true, and one thing that is just. Anything else that you try to fabricate or create, then therefore cannot be true, and cannot be just. It, it's, it's, it's oxymoronic to have multiple versions of truth. It can't be true then. It's oxymoronic to say there are multiple expressions of justice. That can't be true. One of them can't be just then. Right? So this is what's going on here. And you got to pay attention if you're going to be alive for the next 40, 50 years. Social justice defined by the world keeps the name justice but removes God. That's what they're doing. The world removes God and he's replaced with society. He's replaced with government. 
God's justice, remove the name God, put in social. You remove the arbiter of justice, God, and you replace it with society and culture and government. You remove the name. And then you remove the idea. If God is justice, and if one removes him, then therefore it cannot be, cannot be justice. It's a false justice. And you're like, oh, you know, well, Dave, you know, there's, it's a little too legalistic of you, isn't it? Well, no, it's, it's not legalistic. It's, it's you have to understand the problem of mankind is that we get caught up in emotion and we cannot see intellectually and with your brain that the devil is always in the details. The devil is always in the details. I know for a fact, my wife got an email from a local Christian university and at the bottom of the email was their preferred pronoun use. This is the devil's in the details. If you believe one part of social justice that the, that, that, that the world is creating, which some of it may be good, but the devil's in the details, you are forced to accept all of it. You, you're, you're forced to accept all of it. The devil is in the details. A mainline, very well-known Christian college now has their faculty writing down their preferred pronoun use. Because 20 years ago, when I'm dating my wife, these colleges are promoting the vernacular of social justice. Fine, that's how you start out. And a couple years later, it's this. Devil is in the details. People don't want to see details. They want to believe and feel. It's a problem. It's a major, major problem. If God is not in it, then don't call it justice. If God is not in it, then what and who is in it? Look, I, I know I've taught about this before, and it was, it's, it's sensitive stuff, but, you know, the world in which we're living in, we need sound doctrine. We need sound doctrine. We need sound doctrine. Look, at the root of social justice, right, social justice, that which the society, government, and culture is producing, has some frills of good things. But at the roots of it, there is some really demonic things. Are we called to assist the poor? Yes. Are we called to stand with our brothers and sisters of other races to show the unity of God? Yes. But this is the way the society works. If you've been around at all the last couple of years, the element of social justice that the world is creating is a notion that there really is a promotion of a division of people. It's setting people against each other. And if that doesn't work, now we try to make you feel guilty because of your skin tone or your upbringing. So now you have division and guilt, which is like so ridiculous because if you listen to the, even the teachings and the speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it's all about coming together, not division, coming together. 
And he takes time and says, we welcome our white brothers who are standing with us this day on August 28th, 1963, when he's given an I Have a Dream speech. It's all togetherness and love. Why? Because he's rooted in the gospel because he's a reverend. He knows. Okay? Another piece of social justice, which is demonic, is the use of coercion and force. And probably, if you want to say anything, probably the worst one is this. Social justice comes, the rhetoric of, 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 of not God, but of the earth and society, is a promotion of the normalization of sin. Okay? Look, I'm telling you, this is like the hardest message I've had to prepare. There are like so many like little lanes you can go down. The normalization of sin. It reminds me of Jeremiah 6, verse 15. Now they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. You sin without blushing. You sin without the conviction. Desensitize, yeah. And many of you, like, you're not in our position, so you don't understand how these things go. I remember years ago, a couple, a couple presidential administrations ago, uh, we were uh, doing a, um, an after-school program, or actually particularly a GED program. So getting people to, to uh, you know, obviously get their GED so they can move on with their life. Uh, and we were doing this downstairs, and we were, we were getting some federal funding for it. Uh, and then there was a change of a, of a president, and there was a change of the narrative, and it was you are not able to receive federal funding if you do not check that you are okay with this. One of the things was homosexual unions. So we say we are not okay with homosexual unions, and they pulled our funding, and now we can't do a GED program. Like, from my side, I get to see that stuff. Social justice, as the society and government produces it, comes with strings attached. 100%. 100%. Okay? Because it's their narrative. They want to change it to their narrative, okay? Uh, ultimately, I, I do really do believe this. I, I ultimately believe that this whole narrative, it, it, it is really to, it, it's for, or it is to increase, I believe, the power of government in our lives and increase the power of government over the individual and the church. I really do believe that. Look, I mean, if you don't, Believe me, let's just consult the United Nations itself. You're like, Dave, come on, you can't be saying these things. Let's consult the United Nations. The United Nations has a social justice platform. Here it is. One, social just may be broadly understood as the fair and compassionate distribution of the fruits of economic growth. Okay, what does this mean? Uh, what this means here is that there is going to have to be a redistribution of wealth. Okay, now, I, I've made this clear. Does Jesus want us to assist the poor? Yes. But it is never done out of coercion. It's never done out of force. It's done out of love for another individual and compassion. Look, look, look at the verbiage. Social justice is not possible. United Nations. The United Nations. Social justice is not possible without strong and coherent redistributive policies conceived and implemented by public agencies. Power of government to regulate that which is just. And we will do it strongly. 
somewhat forcefully. Okay? That's not Jesus. Jesus is not force. Jesus is not coercion. Does he want you as a sovereign individual to come face to face with the power of the resurrection and to have a heart and a soul to help and assist other people in your community? 110%. But when you do it, there's the gospel. Without the gospel, it cannot be just. Because the gospel is just. So if the government does it, it's not just. It's just when it comes to the gospel. Now, does that mean like you don't help someone until they receive Jesus? No, not of course. Of course not. You help either way. But it comes with the presence of the Lord. This is the one that really put me over the scales. Where I'm like, okay, I'm really hearing the Lord on this. This is the United Nations yet again. Present day believers in an absolute truth identified with virtue and justice are neither willing nor desirable companions for the defenders of social justice. They themselves just differentiated social justice with that which is really just. Do you see that? Present day believers. Believers in what? Believers in absolute truth. Which is just and true. With also virtue and justice are neither willing. Okay, I understand that. Okay, we're not so willing, some of us, to step into the governmental policies of things. But they're not desirable companions. But it feels right, Dave. Of course it feels right. Of course it has. Come on, man. It's time to, to go past Jesus loves me, what can you give me, to read the word. Of course it feels right. Do you think Eve had the apple in her hand and it didn't feel right? Of course it felt right. First Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 3. Guys, the days which are coming and may be upon us, they will feel right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. This is Paul referencing the end times. He's saying in 1 Thessalonians that there will be a feeling of peace. Daniel 9, verse 27 says that the Antichrist I believe it's the Antichrist opposed to the abomination desolation, but whatever the case may be. The, the, in the end times, the enemy is going to create a treaty and a covenant that will bring forth peace for a period of time. And then at the end of that covenant and treaty, he is going to unleash violence over the earth. Of course it's going to feel right. Do you think the enemy is stupid? He knows so it might feel peaceful, and it might feel just. But it's the opposite of just. And I can say that with authority because the United Nations in their own definition said it, right? Do you see two different types of justice in there? Present-day believers in an absolute truth identified with virtue and justice are neither willing nor desirable companions for the defenders of social justice. They're... 
There are those who believe in truth and virtue. They can't be with us because we're producing something else. Social justice. <laughs> really? Really? All right. But at least, Dave, right? We could say this. No, actually, no, right? Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So this is like a brain explosion this week. It's hard. It's hard. You know, let's, let's look up what the United Nations says about social justice. Uh, the narrative that they're bringing forth. The narrative that they're bringing forth is if you do this and if you comply X, Y, and Z, there will be a peace. The problem is that peace is false. There can be zero peace until the coming of the Son of Man. There will be no peace for your soul. There will be no peace for your wallet. There will be no peace for your gender until you come to the cross. That is true. That is just. Anything else is not true. And anything else cannot be just. Problems here. The problems with this, uh, the social justice narrative is the following. A government does not come with the redemptive and restoring powers of the gospel. That's one. Two, it removes the individual responsibility of the believer, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. And three, their form of justice is not equated to God's justice, but rather lifts up the spirit of government to be the one to provide earthly salvation. That's key. Governments are looking to set themselves up as a Christ, as a savior. Yeah, that's for both you Democrats and Republicans. Obama had his salvation time. Trump had his salvation time. He's going to provide salvation. No, they will not. Jesus is the only way. I know that gets us a little squirmy. But come on, man, like, you know, you know when Obama was around, he was like this Messiah, right? And, you know, when Trump was around, there was, there was like this rhetoric that, you know, it, he's a, kind of like a Messiah-type figure for some. For some, not all, but for some, right? Look, you, we can't be looking to the government to provide the element of salvation. You can't look to the government to be the one who's going to pay your bills. You can't look to the government that's going to be the one who's going to provide for all the problems of the earth. That's what the government wants, because if the government can promote that, man, it is like just a half step to an antichrist. Right? Come on. Can you not see the writing on the wall if the governments are the ones who are providing and coming and bringing it all together and look to them for your salvation? The next step is, boop, antichrist. And your spirit. Right? Look, this is... The scriptures say there will be a great falling away. There will be a great falling away. One of the easiest ways to see a great falling away, I shall look to the governments of men to be my earthly salvation. They're the ones who determine what is just and true and right. It's unbelievable. I feel like I'm reading like George Orwell's 1984. I feel like I'm reading Fahrenheit 451. I feel like I'm reading Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. It's like, it's like what, what, what is going on? And what's really sad here, uh, there are believers who are taking a hook, lock, and sinker because there has not been the teaching of good doctrine. There's been the teaching of what makes you feel good. Helping someone makes you feel good. But if you ask the right questions and you pray and you look into it, you're like, mmm, I see this apple is sweet, but I will not eat of it. But Dave, you say, but at least, at least, at least these things are bringing equality and rectifying past wrongs.
Satan, that's how he works. Look, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, gender fluidity, non-binary, all this. Look, it's not a notion of acceptance. It's an issue of sin. It's not a problem to be rectified. It's sin. Do we love people that are walking in those ways? Of course. Do we come out and judge them and make fun of them? No. You stand on righteousness and you show them the way, the truth, and the life. You say that there's a better way. You have to confess your sin. I love it. I, I talk to people like this. Like, you don't understand it. I was just born this way. I'm like, no, I understand it. I was born in my carnal mind, in my carnal being, to want to have sex with multiple women. I'm a man. I have testosterone. And by nature, in the carnal, you want to procreate with multiple people. It's the way of nature, or rather the way of sin. So I get it. I was born that way. I was born to have adultery every week. No, 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 you weren't because, because you're supposed to be faithful to your wife. Why are you supposed to be faithful to your wife? Not because of the carnality of man, because of the righteousness of God. So if I just did what I felt, I would not be living in confines with the Lord and I would be promiscuous. Now, I don't have that desire because I am redeemed and a new creation. So don't, my eye doesn't go astray because it's no longer there. But it was there when I was not saved. I was just born this way. You mean you were born that way? I was born this way. I was born into sin. But I died. I was resurrected in Christ. So yeah, you could be born thinking these things. But you die. And you are resurrected in Christ. And you are now a new creation. So don't tell me that you were born this way. I was born a certain way too. That's why I need Christ. Sin. Racism is a problem. But it is not rectified until one sees it as a sin before God and there is repentance. When there is repentance, there is a coming together. Man, it's like I'm teaching this in high school. Dr. King's notion of soul force. He's like, I understand. We had a war to get rid of racism. Didn't work. We had the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment to get rid of racism. It didn't work. We had the Supreme Court case of Brown versus Board of Education to get rid of racism and segregation. It didn't work. We had the, 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 the Supreme Court case of, uh, the, of, of what was it, uh, uh, Montgomery, Alabama bus company and the desegregation of buses, right? We have Supreme Court cases. We've had amendments. We've had laws. We've had a war. And Dr. King says it doesn't work. It doesn't work until man's souls are defeated underneath the power of love. That's when it happens. That's how King taught. That's why we have a day for him. That's a holiday. Anything else is not just. Poverty is the complexity here. I would like to just stop and call Jamie to come up. Because this is the hard one. I talk, you tell me. It would be like one of those books when you were a kid. Turn to page 32 if you want to go on this journey. Turn to page 55 if you want to go on this journey. Which journey do you want to go on? Do we stop? We'll have Jamie come up or do we continue with looking at the issues of poverty? 
Not your question. Oh, continue. Okay, Jim, you can come back down. <laughs> Poverty is the, this is the hard one. This is the hard one, okay? Poverty is the tough one of social justice, of inequality, of wealth. Okay, this is, woo, this is the hard one to navigate. Okay? We break down some terms here. There's a difference between absolute poverty and being poor. They're two different things. Linguistically, semantically, as a term, they're different. Absolute poverty is virtually non-existent in the West. Absolute poverty is, I don't have enough money, or I don't have any money to feed myself, and I can't eat, I'm going to starve to death. That's ab absolute poverty. That's like virtually non-existent in the Western Hemisphere. Or, well, in the Southwestern Hemisphere, maybe a little different story. Right? In the classical West, in NATO countries, okay? Because there are, there are services and, and, and things to, to assist, and we should be assisting, but this social justice narrative is like another thing. It's another thing. It's not like feed. It's not clothe. It's bring up to the same standard as. It's different. Being poor is different than absolute poverty. Being poor is relative to the group you're in. Okay? What do I mean by that? If I am teaching high school in an upper middle class suburban environment, there is someone in there that is poor in relationship to the others. This is why Jesus says you shall always have the poor among you. He doesn't say you will always have poverty among you. He says you will always have the poor. Poor is different than poverty. A poor person today, you know, lower income, is living a much wealthier life than a middle class person 200 years ago. Okay? But really, with the complexities of poverty is this. The complexities of poverty is this. The real problem in the United States is really the spirit of poverty. It's a spirit that comes upon people that needs to be cracked by Jesus. Okay? Um, there are people that are poor, and okay, and what do we do with those that are in poor? I mean, the, and the scriptures talk about that stuff, and, but there is a nuance that needs to be there. And so part of the problem really in the United States is, well, a spirit of poverty, and I'm just going to say it. You know, 7% inflation doesn't help. That doesn't help anyone. It definitely doesn't help the poor. 7%? Well, maybe 5% if you go down the ra some rabbit holes. But documented by, you know, the consumer price index is officially 7%. Look, through all this, particularly with poverty and everything, uh, Jesus is the example. Jesus is the example of that which is just. Let's uh, turn to uh, Luke chapter 4. What time do we have? 11, what time? Okay. It's a big book. It's a big book. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> I love it. Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus is an example. Look, I, I like really went through the gospels, and I was actually kind of shocked. I was shocked while well, I was expecting to see things, but I did not see them. When Jesus 
engages here. Look, the Spirit of the Lord is upon John the Baptist and Jesus, right? To what? Bring the gospel to the poor. To feed them, clothe them? No, to preach the gospel. Jesus shows up. He teaches. He heals. Then he goes and says, sin no more. He doesn't say, here is $100,000 so that your kids can go to college. He does not do that. I would, you know, did Jesus ever give out food to the hungry? Yes. But then I read it, and I was like, oh, wait, maybe I was just taught bad th things. Now, Grant, did I say that we should feed the hungry? Yes! I'm not saying you shouldn't feed the hungry. But I'm trying to recorrect a warped sense of things. If I take a look at the scriptures of the life of Jesus, he tells you to the least of these you've done unto me, you should do it. Amen. I'm going to do that. But you have to change the narrative because there's so much like social justice is actually more important than the gospel. That's the narrative even in churches. Well, you don't go with the gospel. You have to feed them first. No, 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 no. Like Jesus preached the gospel to the poor. I took a look at the scriptures. And the only place I could see him really handing out food was at the Sermon on the Mount. He feeds 5,000, or in certain Gospels, 4,000, right? But it's like, does it ever say they were hungry? Did it ever say that they were starving? No! They show up, and they listen to a really long sermon. And they forgot to bring their lunch. And he's like, we got to get some lunch for these guys. I, look, challenge me. I could not find a place in the Gospels where Jesus is like, you are starving to death, here's food. Never! Does he want us to do that? Yes, of course he does. But this is the point. Psalms 146.7 says that the Lord alleviates physical suffering. He feeds the poor. But what you have to understand, especially if you're in Christian circles of the woke notion, is this. Feeding the poor is never, ever the focus. The focus is preaching the gospel to the poor. That's the focus. Guys, we literally have church ministries that make social justice the main thing and salvation becomes the afterthought. This is the problem we're in. Please, let me clarify. The Lord does make a reference and tells us to assist those that are poor. In the book of Acts, it says, take care of the widows and the orphans and the fatherless. There is a program for it. But Jesus, to the best of my reading, it's all about the gospel. It's about the gospel. Do we have compassion on those that are in need? Yes. But here's another tricky thing. Did Jesus ever go to the Roman authority and says, you have the duty and authority and you should be alleviating the pain and suffering of the poor? No, not once. Because it's not in Jesus' eyes the government's responsibility. It's the responsibility of the government of the church. It's the responsibility of the government and the sovereignty of the believer. He could have been like, Pharisees, you should be doing this. You need to allocate 20% of all income of tithes that go into the temple to be reserved to this. Rome, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. He never does that. He does tell the church. He does tell the believer to do it. But as I said before, 
But the government is able to assist and do these things. I know, the devil's in the details. And come on up, Jamie. The devil is in the details. You have to take all of the package, which means you have to believe in white guilt, which means you have to believe that homosexuality is normal. If you want to assist the poor in the eyes of the government, you also have to adopt all the other things. That's not the way of the Lord. That's not what is just. And I've got to be quite honest, I am completely convinced that the motivation of social justice is, in fact, not justice. I believe it really is an eloquent, sophisticated, sugar-coated way to change the narrative. And it is that the government is the means to earthly salvation, not God. That the church is dethroned. And that any expression of sin is now considered a hate crime. Another piece to this is the absolving of the believer from any kind of responsibility. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 17 says it this way. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Right? The problem in the modern world is we have taken those things which are reserved for God and we've given it to Caesar. It is so much easier to say, Caesar, tax me so that you can take that tax and pay for helping poor people. It's a way of, of buying off our guilt. Well, I, I give X amount of money away to the government through taxation. See, you're giving Caesar, you're giving the government the responsibility of assisting the poor. Opposed to, no, I am going to directly help the poor. There's a big difference. Every society on earth that I am really understanding through the teaching of history and the teaching of economics as my profession, every time a society increases the role of Caesar, every time society increases even the tax that is to be given unto, unto Caesar. What shortly and quickly happens after is that man begins to look to the government as their means of salvation because you no longer have the income to be able to provide for yourself. And so now the government is enthroned as the arbiter of all justice and all salvation. So it's this. As you are forced to give more power to the government, they turn around and they take more of your rights away. That is a calculated historical truth, okay? So people out there are like, oh man, communism is the way, the truth, and the life. Dude, do you understand that communism, that Joseph Stalin went and took over private property in order to redistribute wealth, and after that, 80 million citizens were killed by him. 80 million! makes Adolf Hitler look less severe. 80 million of his own citizens because he is the one that is determining what is just. And he is the one that redistributes the wealth. Mao Zedong, some of the estimates of that after his collectivization, kills up to 100 million. Well, they're just dictators and they're evil people. Yes, yes. Because when man gets power, power corrupts. Absolutely. The power is not in governments. The power is not in culture. The power is in the hands of Jesus that says, lay down your life so I can raise it up again. 
We don't have time to talk about the other paradigms of this recipe. Cuba, Vietnam, Cambodia, North Korea. The Europeans seem to have some type of control over this. They're, they're really doing the social justice thing. They seem to maintain some semblance or a decent good semblance of individual rights, right? Like if I were to live in Norway, it wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. It would actually probably be pretty nice in some regards. But here's the thing, I don't know if you guys are tracking this or not, but these European countries that partake in this kind of democratic, socialist redistribution of wealth, they are not very friendly to Christians. Pastors are held accountable for the things that they say. There are certain things that cannot be said from the pulpit because it is equated to a hate crime. Well, why? What do you mean why? You shouldn't take a rocket scientist. They tell us why. Because their version of justice is different than our version of justice. Look, the church needs to stop talking about the social justice and they need to start talking again about God's justice. And I don't mean this as a semantic thing, like we're talking about God's justice instead of social justice. No, history shows us time and time again that when the church surrenders its responsibility to the government, it leads to an earthly hell. You need to get that in your kishkas. You need to get that inside of you. When the church surrenders its sovereign responsibility before the maker of heaven and earth, and you give it to evil men, it becomes hell on earth. Guys, look, the Catholic Church did this beautifully. The Catholic Church merged with the government. And the atrocities that they did were horrendous. It was so bad, it produced the dark ages, for crying out loud. Dark ages, an age of death and plague and darkness with no light, was underneath the hands when the Catholic Church was at the zeitgeist, or the, 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 the pinnacle of their power. You probably don't know about this unless you're of a certain group of minorities that suffered from it. 1492, the Spanish Inquisition. The things that happened to Jews and Muslims in Spain and in England are atrocious. It happens when men are the ones who produce what is just, not God. The Nazis? The 30-year war in Europe where Catholics and Protestants are burning each other at, at the stake? Why do these things happen? They happen because God is removed from justice. And he's replaced by a government. And replaced by a society. that says we are the ones that determine what is just. Be reminded. Be reminded. If you get anything from today, be reminded of this. The scriptures say very clearly. That in the end times, there will be a false peace. A false peace that the enemy produces. It will feel like there's peace. Because he's bringing forth a social justice. Not God's justice. So it will feel right. A false peace. But come on, man. Let me stand. 
Isaiah. Isaiah, the one who in Isaiah 6 sees pure justice. He sees the throne room of God. And he's undone. He says, you, you have to cleanse me. What does he say about justice? What does he say about government? That the government will be upon his shoulders. What did Dr. King say? And I have a dream. He quotes from Amos. But let justice roll down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. From the prophet Amos. Whose justice? Whose righteousness? God's. Do we have a call by the gospel to alleviate pain and suffering? Yes, but your call not to get in bed with the government to do it. You're called to do it with the express purpose of the gospel, of repentance of sin. And when a man repents from sin, you're going to see that all those things which are unjust will fall off of a man because he's living inside the justice of God. I close with Luke chapter 3. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation, the justice, the truth of our God. Father, we just come before you, and I come before you that people will be able to understand the heart of this doctrine. That yes, we are called to be the hands and feet of you. Yes, we are called to, to assist and to help. As your word says, it will be as if you are doing it unto me. But Lord, we do understand that the focus, the focus, the focus, the focus is for winning souls. The focus is for showing the truth of the salvation of Christ. Lord, I just pray right now that those people that are getting caught up they're getting caught up with an understanding of a version of justice which the government produces. Lord, that they would not take of that apple. That although it may appear to be sweet, and it may appear to be good, the devil is in the details. We do not bow our knee to the justice of earth. We do not bow our knee to the justice of governments. We do not bow our knees to the justice of a narrative. We bow our knees to only one thing, that which is true, that which is just, that which is life, God.
Lord, we want your justice. It comes, it comes, it comes when you return. It comes when you return. Father, we pray, I pray right now, Lord God, that you would just return. You would return. You would return by the Spirit to, the, to men and women. That they would see you. That they would know you. And Father, we pray for your earthly return. That even though you tarry, you shall come. But Father, I pray that as you tarry, that you would protect your bride. You'd protect your bride. In Jesus' name, amen.